Progress, facts, science, medicine, football, all that right now on Wildcat Radio. Wildcat Radio. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world, brought to you by mybookie.ag. We'll get there. We'll get there. Thanks for joining us. There is this. This will be a fun podcast. Uh, it was nice to see Arizona be competitive in a game. You can uh, you should get the housekeeping items out first. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, any podcast catcher out there. We are there. You can visit our website WildcatRadioAZ.com, where we have updates on games. We have our contest updates, Rob's advanced statistical model, beta rank, all of that stuff is on the website. You should check it out. You follow us on Twitter at WildcatRadioAZ and on Facebook at WildcatRadioAZ. Z and uh, it is a menage a trois this week. Very excited. We have Mr. Rob Bowron, the creator, the wizard, the wonder master behind the Beta Rank Advanced Statistical Model. What's going on, Rob? I am. Uh, I'm always excited to be here. But uh, the model had an unbelievably kick, uh, kick ass week actually uh, against the spread. So I'm feeling very, very good. Um, you know, made made it even even. In- Pick the uh, even pick Purdue correctly. The model did not not to win, but to to cover. And then that, I felt good about that. I've been arguing with Big Ten fans all week on Reddit about that Purdue is better than their record. Oh, okay, yeah. Number numbers don't lie. And one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite uh, uh, announcing announcing tidbits for the the Pac-12 games this week was when um, somebody who was announcing the Stanford Arizona State game basically said that. <laughs> David Shaw doesn't believe in math. That was pretty much. I mean, he said it in different <laughs> that was words. Great. <laughs> I was dying. I was laughing so hard. Um, yeah, we, we have a lot to talk about. We are just killing it against the spread, not only in beta rank, but almost every one of our podcast hosts is against the spread. So my bookie understood that this is the podcast to sponsor. And one of those people above five hundred is Mr. Rick Powell making his uh, making his debut again. What's going on, Rick? You know, if I make any more money this season, I'm going to have to start uh, filing different forms on my IRS taxes, and I don't really want to do that. But uh, you know, what what are we going to do? <laughs> I, I, we we keep picking them right. <laughs> you should start your own book, Rob. It'll be awesome. It'll be really good. No, <laughs> that requires like an immense amount of uh, capital that my uh, toddler seems to go through, like. Kids just eat money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, getting to the game here, let's start off with the Arizona. Well, well, actually, I should ask, Rick, do we have enough material for a Rick report? Uh, we do. Let's do it. Let's get into the Rick report. <laughs> yes. Yes, the Rick report. <laughs> and now, the Rick report, brought to you by Wildcat Radio. Oh, yeah. So it's actually been a pretty big weekend for the Wildcats, despite the loss in UC at, at UCLA. Um, they did get two football commitments for this 2019 class. One of them is a JUCO offensive lineman uh, by the name of Rocky Itogi, um, and he's from a community college in Fort Scott, Kansas. And uh, he's he's huge. He's like six eight, three hundred and forty five pounds. Uh, definitely kind of like the antithesis of the offensive lineman that we have now. Um, I do expect to see almost complete turnover at that position next year for this Kevin Sumlin squad. And that's one of the reasons why they've been hitting the Juco ranks so hard, trying to find some linemen that'll be able to, uh, to block for our quarterbacks next year. And uh, so he, he's the first domino to fall on that offensive line front and definitely gives the Wildcats a piece to work with next year. 
And then the second commitment from this weekend is one that I'm super excited about. It's a defensive back Jackson Turner uh, from California is one of the best safeties on the West coast. Uh, 2019 kids, super agile, really quick. Um, and a big time playmaker. He had uh, for, for a sophomore year, he had uh, double digit interceptions on the year. Um, and so he's, he's a real ball hawk. He's a guy that can get in and disrupt plays and create a lot of turnovers on defense. And that's exactly what Arizona is looking for in that secondary position. Um, and so it gives Kevin Sumlin two really big pieces moving into next season, despite the fact that the Wildcats aren't uh, above 500, at least they're hitting some home runs in the recruiting cycles. Are we going to say home runs or are we going to say, you know, like singles and doubles uh, here? I, I, I say, I, I think, I think Jackson Turner is absolutely a home run from the tape that I've watched. Um, I didn't really get an opportunity to watch too much home run or uh, too much footage on um, Itogi, but uh, that's a big kid. So yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll call it like an infield, like, I don't know, like a, yeah, we'll just call it a single. <laughs> and I should mention, yeah, just to crow a little bit, we were the first Arizona outlet to announce that uh, uh, Rocky had committed to the University of Arizona. Shout out, by the way, to our permanent sponsor, The Sexual Intellectual, for shooting us that info. That was great. So that was from uh, a junior college outlet had announced it, and so we threw it out there. And uh, you can catch that on our website, Wildcat Radio AZ. Um, well, any other news? I mean, Tim Huff is not part of the team anymore. Uh, Rob, are you are you sad by that? <laughs> news uh no if you my ongoing joke about tim huff was that he was a pass interference machine that also had the benefit of giving up touchdowns so no i am not sad to see tim huff go <laughs> yeah it was interesting because we had a lot of new players on the field against ucla we i think we had two freshman corners rick you know we have a lot of injuries on that cornerback front and in the secondary uh what do you think about huff taking taking off yeah, so it definitely hurts from a depth standpoint. But as Rob said, I wasn't too impressed with what he was able to contribute so far this year. Um, the main reason he was on the field was because Jace Whitaker has been uh, hurt and nursing injuries so much this season. So um, at this point in the season with where the Wildcats are, I, I, I agree with Rob. I was really excited to get to see some of the freshmen get some more opportunities. Uh, Mackenzie Barnes played well in spades, in spades but not uh, – I, he did give up one one major touchdown, um, which you know ultimately could have been the difference in the game. But there are a couple of instances that were differences in the game, not just on the freshmen. So, <laughs> the one one thing I'm going to miss with Tim Huff is him celebrating an incomplete pass that he had nothing to do with. <laughs> he was he was a talker, man. <laughs> he really got in people's uh, in people's faces and I'm like, hey, man, like uh, that way, they just overthrew that ball by five yards. <laughs> you weren't a part of that. Although, you know, all that said, I wish him luck. I'm sure I'm glad he got his degree, came over as a grad transfer. So um, the best of luck to him. I, I want to bring something up with the red and blue game. Uh, I really played and I, I I thought that it would be fine if he was uh, introduced and participated in uh, the red blue game. I thought him playing was a bad look considering all of the stuff that's happened to Arizona football uh, basketball, but wanted to throw that to you, Rick. Was that, did that bother you? I mean, he got like an extreme DUI. Um, yeah, it, it didn't bother me. No. Um, I, I feel like, um, I, I don't want to say, I, I, I don't want to, uh, minimalize anything, but I, I kind of feel like with the circumstances surrounding everything that this was probably going to be a minimal punishment type of deal that could be dealt with 
uh, during the regular season, you know, once, once the, the games actually matter. Um, I, I do expect there to be some kind of internal suspension, but the red and blue game is all about getting fans excited for the season. It's not really a situation that, uh, I feel that you should use to punish the players, especially a player that's probably going to have a, a pretty big role on this, on this team, um, you know, to let him go out and um, feel good about where he sits with the fans and to be able to perform in front of the home crowd like that in a, in a very low pressure situation, just kind of get everyone's ready for basketball. I, I think that that's probably the best move to get Ira Lee focused on basketball for this season. So I don't discredit Sean Miller for that at all. Rob, you have any issues with him playing in the red blue game? No, no. I mean, as long I mean, if he's going to sit, it's it should be in games that count. So play him in the red blue game. I mean, I would have an issue if Sean Miller had said like we suspended him for the red blue game, but he's available for the season opener. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> 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 then we have major problems. Though we we still have problems too. Uh, oh, by the way, like keep a lookout. We're going to have a ton of basketball content. Um, looking at making some changes too on our end, which I think will be good. So it won't just be me complaining about Sean Miller for the whole season uh, this year. Uh, we want to make sure that we get some positive voices in there. With that said, uh, I've been listening to Gary Parrish, the IN sports CBS podcast, and they've done a really good job uh, kind of weekly going through the trial that's going on right now with some of these Adidas executives. And there's just some wild news that have come out. One thing that I am, <laughs> That really caught my eye is, I mean, obviously you have Bill Self that is like on, on uh, implicated now. You have uh, Oregon, although the guy in the stand is like protecting Oregon, but there's like a number. LSU is now like their name is out there and stuff. So there's a lot of text messages that were read in this trial, particularly between Bill Self and like this bag man for Adidas. Um, but one of the things that Gary Parrish had mentioned, he was talking about all these other schools. He said the, the most interesting thing is if you are a serious person and you think for a moment that if um, Kansas is out there basically saying without saying, yeah, do whatever you need to do to get this kid to our school, and that kid goes to a different program like Duke or, um, you know, like you name your blue blood program, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, uh, Kentucky, whatever, Florida, uh, you are likely fooling yourselves if you think that a blue blood program like Kansas, who is willing to pay market price for a player. Um, so this isn't like, you know, you going to LaSalle or Texas A&M for basketball. This is Kansas. If Kansas is going to pay, the odds of you going to another major school that isn't also paying are rather low. And that, that was an interesting thing. The other thing was basically like in all of these transactions, basically Arizona was everywhere. Like ever Arizona sprinkled all over the place. Like, like oh, Arizona knows that this is going on. Oh, Arizona was willing to uh, take care of business over there. So just that, that, that is worrisome. But when, I mean, this was why you don't fire Sean Miller early. This is why you sit and you kind of wait because this was happening in the sport everywhere. And I think that's starting more and more to come to light. Uh, but I, I was a little worried when, when Gary Parrish is like, you know, the one connecting tissue to all this is that Arizona was involved in all this stuff. So uh, throw that to you, Rick. What do you think? Yeah, I so I don't know. I, I've, I've only followed the trial a little bit loosely, but basically what I've gathered uh, is, is, is that Obviously, this has been going on everywhere for a long time. Yeah, yeah it sucks that Arizona's name keeps getting brought up and that Sean Miller is plastered on the uh, front pages of ESPN. Um, you know, but I, you know, we we've talked about this for years now, and we've only talked to ourselves in circles. Like until there's actually hard evidence that Arizona paid a player, you know, I, I have to take everything with a grain of salt because at, at, at this point, 
it's it's not even about proving whether or not the NCAA or, or, or universities in general are dirty. I think that that's already been proven. I think that was known before this trial. Um, but, you know, I, I have a lot of trouble seeing like the CP underbelly criminal element of everything. If it's going on everywhere, why do we necessarily need to focus on any one school um, just because there's uh, certain circumstantial evidence that's bringing schools names into play again you know wichita state was mentioned in this whole yeah, thing like, yeah oh yeah <laughs> and creighton, you know, creighton was in there too yeah exactly like um you know it, it goes on everywhere at this point the nba should just allow players to jump directly into the nba um, it sounds like they're taking some steps in doing that with allowing players to go to the g league although i don't think that that's going to be as big of a draw for uh, players coming out of high school as, as they probably think but um you know the the shoe reps have have screwed everything up as far as um you know early recruiting and things like that are concerned i don't know that the ncaa can ever fully wash their hands of it um so it's it's kind of like you know like what are we doing here like either let's just put everything on the table and and get it out in the open and let's let's pay let's pay players their worth to to go and play the sport that they love you know i don't know that's that's just my opinion, though. The one the one pushback I want to do because I agree with everything you said basically, except that uh, you know in terms of evidence that Arizona paid a player like Book Richardson was on wiretap saying like yeah I got five thousand dollars so there there is there is evidence there it's just <laughs> it's going to take a few years for the FBI invested whatever investigation like the whole all this stuff to go through and I think that's why you're seeing Arizona bring in these players because basically look it's going to take a few years and by that point nobody knows what's going to the sport's going to look like so. And, and shouts to Sean Miller for continuing to bring in these top tier players that are five star caliber players and building a program where everybody thought he was dead. I mean, we had our top writer at our, our local newspaper basically saying that this is dead. So um, that Sean Miller isn't recruiting anymore. And that certainly wasn't the case. So uh, let, me, let me let me throw it back to you, Rick. And then, Rob, I want you to jump in on this and then we'll get into football. But uh, I because I'm a little worried because there is evidence for Arizona. I think that's the difference that sets Arizona apart from some of these other schools is there is the wiretaps out on, on our end. So but I want to give you a chance to respond to that, Rick. Um, I well, I, I mean, I haven't really like I said, I've only loosely followed the trial as far as the Adidas trial was concerned. I thought that Arizona actually came away from that pretty well considering the allegations against them. So, um, you know, I, just because somebody says something doesn't mean that there's, that that's not physical evidence. You know, that's all circumstantial evidence. It's all hearsay, you know? Yeah. Book Richardson said I got $5,000 or whatever, you know, but that's, there's, there's no, there's no proof of where the, show me the money, you know, like show me the, the transactions that went down in order for, for this, because otherwise there's like, Talking about taking money isn't illegal. Taking money is illegal. Show me, show me the actual taking of the money. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Arizona, and you're right, when it came to Adidas, we weren't there because we weren't in Adidas school, but... <laughs> Like every player that Adidas was involved with, Arizona was like in in the pie somewhere. Uh, so I think that's interesting. But most schools probably were, but Arizona was certainly out there. One more thing to add on before I throw it to you, Rob, is that the defense, I forget which one of the Adidas executives, but basically their defense is, look, 
um, this is a victimless, a victimless crime. I am being charged with defrauding universities. And uh, that's the exact opposite. The universities wanted me to get these players. So the players got the money. This, the universities got the player. The shoe companies got the player. And everybody's happy. And, and that's literally his defense. Yes, I did all this stuff, but like... I'm not defrauding anybody. You know, nobody's being scammed here, man, as uh, the big Lebowski would say. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting defense. It'll be interesting to see if it works. So, Rob, what do you think of this entire situation? Uh, because because it's it's pretty fun. <clears throat> well, I think everyone should. Uh, I think that while the, the, the focus was on a couple recruits that the, the FBI had, you know, enough evidence to bring to trial. Um, against these Adidas executives, I don't think that uh, people should look at it and say like, "Oh, you know, if you weren't named in this conversation, like the NCAA is not eventually going to come after you." So the NCAA is holding back at the FBI's request. The NCAA doesn't care if it's hearsay. Like that's not really a standard <laughs> that they have to adhere to. Um, and if a player's dad comes back. If Brian Bowen's dad comes back and says, yeah, like I was offered a bunch of money to go to, you know, to get my, my son to go to Arizona. Um, the that's plenty good enough for the NCAA, um, whether money changed hands or not. Like there, the, the, the part that I think that school, you know, more schools should be concerned about, um, is that you don't know, we don't know what's buried in, um, you know, all the evidence that the FBI chose not to bring, you know, and didn't need to bring to trial uh, in this case. Um, but the other part is, and here's the, like, the, the, the defense basically, you're right, like, they basically presented a, a scorched earth, like, hey, look, like, this is going on everywhere. But they, Merle Code um, and Jim Gatto chose not to take the stand, which is entirely right. Usually a good idea. <laughs> don't 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 testify at your own trial. Um, but they that's not to say that, however, like that this is the last we're going to hear from them. I, I think a lot of people should breathe a sigh of relief, um, maybe in a way that they didn't get up there on the stand uh, and testify, because if they did, given the, the way that their defense had been constructed up to that point, um, they probably would have just burned everyone to the ground, um, particularly Code, who has... I believe has only been at Adidas three years. And before that was at Nike grassroots basketball. So um, Merle code definitely knows where all of the bodies are buried in college. I mean, I guess unless you're like some like under armor school, like Merle code, Merle code knows where the bodies are buried for sure. Um, but I don't know that when we look back, when we look at where, where these men's lives and careers are likely to go after this uh, in particular, if they get a, if there's a conviction, um, these guys probably never work in basketball, you know, at this level, you know, for this kind of money again, um, you know, these guys are going to like, these guys are going to have a tell, like some publisher is going to come to these guys with a big offer of money to publish, you know, the details of what they were doing. Um, the NCAA will happily scoop that up. Um, I just I don't think we've heard the last of this, and it's it's far and like I said, like, I mean, right, this is the Adidas trial. The, the FBI may not bring charges against anyone at Nike. They have plenty of evidence against Nike schools. Um, you know, they did get subpoenas um, and they did get warrants and they did search Nike's grassroots basketball. They also did search Under Armour. Um, there's a lot of information the FBI has sitting around that they are likely to turn over to the NCAA on this. Um, 
and it's far more per- pervasive. I mean, I guess the the part that I came out of the shocked was is like Creighton was offering a hundred thousand dollars for Brian Bowen. I mean, Creighton, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, DePaul, DePaul, yeah, DePaul was DePaul offering. Was in there. Yeah. <clears throat> like, and that's the part where, like, I think that. If you're an Arizona fan, you've taken a lot of, I mean, a lot of flack from Colorado fans and Utah fans and <laughs> lots of other people in the conference. Um, that is silly. Like, clearly, players are getting paid to go to Utah and paid to go to Colorado. Um, you know, like, the, 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 the shoe companies are not only looking out, you know, like, there's big money going to big-time players to go to big-time schools, including Duke. Um, maybe not Michigan State, um, apparently, but um, well, they got their own problems to, to worry about. Yeah, in addition to I that, mean, so it's not geez. like yeah, like <laughs> Michigan State, like oh, you made it out of this one, like congrats, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's I I look at this and I mean I I don't know like I think a lot of Arizona fans are running around and saying like it's hearsay like none of this matters you don't have to prove anything and I'm like yeah like in the court of law where we are now but you know as soon as the FBI wraps this up like the NCAA is going to pick up all of those files and go to town on everyone um, and the hope is and I and I, I certainly think it's true like I hope to like if you're going to go after Arizona you have to go after DePaul right like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the tree falls in the forest, though, Rob. Does it really matter? Right. Like, I, mean, like, <laughs> I mean, if you're just going to make an example, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you, there's no way the NCAA can apply selective justice here because, like, if you're an Arizona fan, like, and everybody's saying, like, oh, like, DeAndre Ayton was, you know, you know, bound for Kansas, and all of a sudden he shows up at Arizona, you know, how did that happen? Um, you You have to go after Duke. And Zion Williams. I mean, like that was one of the major bombshells that came out of this is that, you know, how much Zion Williams is being offered to go to Kansas um, or, or was it NC State? But no, anyway, it was Kansas. He, and then it was Kansas. Yeah, he, it was Kansas. And then he ends up at he ends up at, um, at Duke. I mean, Duke, Duke, Duke's not clean in this. Like Mike Krzyzewski's recruited like gangbusters, like. Oh, for um, sure. And he was paying for like Marvin Bagley's dad's basketball team for years. Yeah. I mean, there's just, it's ridiculous. That's what drives me nuts. It's the UCLA fans and the Duke fans that, particularly right. the UCLA fans, like, they, you guys got free, the freaking ball family at your university. Are you kidding me? Like, you, can't, you can't point the finger at us and say, oh, yeah, we're squeaky clean over here. It's freaking nuts. No, no one's squeaky, no one's squeaky clean. Like, and I, I mean, I, I guess I, like, the part that I just, I find, utterly exhausting out of this is everyone insisting that somehow they're squeaky clean like that that defies simple adult logic right like <laughs> come on like if if bill self and rick patino are offering one hundred fifty thousand dollars to come play basketball like no one is going to play for free anywhere else like come on Oh, absolutely. And the fact that you have Dick Vitale out there still just throwing darts at Arizona just drives me nuts. But uh, well, that is, it is it, like Arizona fans, like we are bringing a bit of this on ourselves because we are trolling the hell out of everyone that works for ESPN. Fact. That is a fact. Like, they are uh, so like there is like there is this there's a whole bunch of animus going on right now that is like it's like the worst of the Internet, like between 
Arizona fans and ESPN personalities, most of whom I find annoying because they laid off most of their actual reporters and they just have talking heads. But yeah, like Dick Vitale, he's he is the only person that is actually shocked that this is happening in college basketball. Like anybody else <sighs> who covers the sport is like, yeah, this has been going. I was like, what are you talking about? Nothing else is, is hysterical. Um, but like Roy Williams, like his like that. There was a great column about like. Roy Williams standing around and saying, like, I had no idea this was going on. Like, shut your mouth. Like, come on. <laughs> no one believes that. <laughs> Roy's a good man. He's a good American. I mean, I mean come on. Like, <laughs> you you believe? Like, no. Like, if Mike Krzyzewski's, like, told you to your face that, like, he didn't, but, like, he didn't know about any of this going on, like, would you in any way believe him? No, no, absolutely not. Um, but, hey, so so more basketball stuff to come. There's going to be more news that breaks on this for sure. Wanted to make sure that we touched on it before we got into college football because – uh, we have some some good goodish goodish news to talk in terms of college football. You know, UCLA thirty one, Arizona thirty. Arizona certainly could have won this game. Uh, obviously, the JJ Taylor fumble on the way to uh, the end zone, getting punched out, which is the most Arizona thing to happen to this program in quite a while. <laughs> like I was just, I, I just couldn't. I, I was laughing. I was laughing. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, yeah, of course that's gonna happen. But I would also add that Arizona should have been down twenty eight seven at the in the first half, but UCLA was just wholeheartedly incompetent as well. This was a pillow fight to the max, but we were able to move the ball for the first time. I think the defense was able to put up some stops at times, certainly not when they needed to, but um, it, it looked better than it has in the past. Rick, let's throw it to you. What were your general impressions of how this game went? Yeah. So, I mean, it, I mean, it turned out to be a battle of, of backup quarterbacks, really. Um, we knew that Rhett Rodriguez was going to get the start coming in, uh, you know, with Khalil Tate being hurt, having to sit out. Um, so I, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect for this game because Rhett Rodriguez has is, is only, you know, played very sparingly so far this year. I, you know, we, there was questions as to whether or not we would see multiple quarterbacks for the game. Um, I, I think that Rhett Rodriguez probably exceeded expectations considering um, you know, where we were feeling about him coming into the season, but this wasn't a good game for him by any means. You know, like there are some people that are kind of like beating the drum and saying, what, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, Cleo Tate, who like, we don't need him, but, but I mean, 15 of 34, Oof. 231 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, you know, that's, you know, that's only 44%, you know, on your, on your passing attempts. Um, you know, but you know, I'll give Rhett Rodriguez credit, like being thrust into that kind of situation where, you know, he's like five ten and 175 pounds soaking wet, um, you know, and holding up against that UCLA defense. I, I thought he did at least a decent job of managing the game, but, uh, ultimately those two interceptions definitely cost Arizona big, yeah. the lack of being able to, uh, to score in the red zone, especially in the second half where they had to settle for three field goals. I think was really ultimately the difference in this game. Uh, what I did like was how the, the wide receivers kind of stepped up and seemed to kind of rally around uh, having Rhett Rodriguez as their quarterback. I thought that they did a really good job of adjusting their routes to Rhett Rodriguez's throw. This kid has no arm strength. He's not going to be able to throw the ball 60 yards down the field. So the wide receivers, I think, took advantage a little bit of that uh, with, with UCLA's D, DBs kind of overplaying the passes a little bit. Um, you know, they could make adjustments to come back to the ball. Um, and that's, they, you know, they, that's how the Arizona offense was able to at least, uh, you know, stay in the same realm as, as UCLA. Um, defense, I, I think the defense was what ultimately cost Arizona the game. 
Uh, you could point to a number of things, but uh, I don't know. There's just so many injuries on that side of the ball now too. It's like, you're not getting any kind of consistent product from week to week. Um, especially like coming into this week with, uh, you know, more defensive backs being down. I think UCLA was really able to take advantage of that. Obviously with Dorian Thompson Robinson going out early in the second quarter um, and Wilton Spate coming in and Arizona didn't game plan for Wilton Spate. So UCLA, I think actually kind of benefited from that and that they were able to kind of disguise their offense a little bit more so that the Arizona defense wasn't really prepared um, you know, for that kind of change in offense. But I, I thought Spate actually had a, a really good game as uh, being able to come in off that bench. I would add on to that when you talk about Red Rodriguez, and I'm glad that you brought up that he wasn't incredibly effective. He, he was able to move the ball forward at times. It was certainly the bar was so low with Khalil Tate, and, and that, that's a fact because he wasn't able to use his feet. Um, I mean, it was agonizing to watch our offense for so long so to watch somebody go <laughs> less than 50 percent completion rate and two interceptions with two touchdowns like oh thank god we're moving the football this is great um with with that said you, you know in the beginning of the game i think Rhett rob was like two of 11 with like an interception it was really bad um but then then started to to play better and i i totally agree with you rick in the sense of the wide receivers i that showed up obviously sean poindexter had more than 100 yards and two touchdowns but some of the other guys were also there i don't think uh i didn't see a lot of drops that you saw with khalil tate which was a big problem with our wide receiving core and also hurt his numbers um over that that time but the big story here on the offense was the rushing game and rob we had talked about that front seven of ucla being questionable but playing a little bit better but dang jj taylor 19 carries 154 yards gary brightwell 15 carries 121 yards we got it done on the ground yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. We got it done on the ground. I mean, not that UCLA's defense is any great shakes and, and like I said, we had talked about that or you said we had talked about that, but um, I mean, I think if you're an Arizona fan, you should feel reasonably good. You lost by one point. You were basically, you know, negative three on turnovers in the game. Um, and your offense was totally non-functional until Rhett Rod kind of got it going uh, and settled down a bit. Uh, I, yeah, I think, I think UCLA would have been better with Thompson Robinson in there oh, absolutely. Uh, over over the, the longer haul of the game. But I don't think that Spade had a bad game uh, by any stretch of uh, anyone's imagination. But, um, yeah, I mean, Arizona's defense had a tough time. They really wore down. I think some of UCLA's athletes really showed out uh, as the game wore on. Um, Caleb Wilson had a big, you know, very big game. Uh, you know, he was sort of Spade's security blanket uh, as the game, as the night wore on. Um and Rodriguez, I mean, with the receivers, I think Rodriguez just he. Everybody talks about Tate's arm, and it's there. But Rodriguez throws a more catchable ball in some ways. Like his some of his touch passes, um, you know, that he was putting there were much more catchable for for the receivers, and um, they were able to. Um, yeah, they certainly made some catches that you could argue they hadn't made for Khalil Tate. But I, I felt like Rodriguez, as, as Rick had alluded to, put them in a position to make catches. Um, that in some cases maybe Tate hadn't. And he did certainly make it through his progressions. Now I, I'm not going to say that Arizona's receivers were always open as he made it through his progressions, but um, he definitely uh, more than Tate has made it through his progressions. And that was a real positive sign, I think for the offense, but um, more than anything, you take away any of those three turnovers and Arizona actually probably walks out with the win against UCLA's backup quarterback, which would have felt pretty good. I agree with you on that front, but I would argue that if Dorian Thompson Robinson, the way that he had been playing, not just in this game, yeah. Oh, yeah. but in previous games, I mean, he really is starting to figure out the offense. He plays in this game, we lose. And, and Wilton Spates, 
uh, stat line. 17 for 27, 200 yards and two touchdowns. I would argue that is a generous, generous stat line for how poorly I thought he played. I thought he missed a lot of wide receivers. He missed a lot of passes. He was jittery. He certainly closed that game down at the end, certainly that six-minute drive. So I took UCLA in the spread. I'm like, oh, six minutes. Of course they're going to score a touchdown. And they slowly walk down yeah. the field. Like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Because um, I figured we were going to lose anyway. So we might as well lose and make money uh, doing so. And that did not happen. I, I didn't think Spate was incredibly impressive. With all that said, we, the three turnovers on Arizona's side, and you know, you fix any one of those, and it's likely we win the game. So you know, you can go either way with this, but. Arizona was competitive and they were competitive against a team that has been improving. I mean, I thought we would lose this game by at least 10 and uh, we ended up almost taking it away. So I, I am fairly encouraged by this. Are we going to win another game? Probably not, but you know, you never know, but um, at least we were competitive looking on the defensive side. I thought there were a couple people, Rick, that stood out in my mind who were a couple folks that really caught your eye. Well, obviously, Colin Schooler continues to uh, to put in performance after performance uh, for this Arizona defense. He, he led the team with ten tackles, um, had a big sack that uh, that uh, ended up forcing UCLA into a field goal situation rather than uh, having another early touchdown. I thought that that was really a, a momentum killer uh, for UCLA in that first half. Um, Tony Fields also had a really great game. The, the Arizona linebackers, as, as we talked about, you know, coming into the season, I think that they've really kind of played up to their, their calling at this point. I think the defensive line has also kind of solidified itself a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, PJ Johnson is, is definitely a guy that, uh, I, I think has played well above his punching weight. Um, Derek Bowles had a tremendous, uh, it was a strip sack forced fumble, fumble recovery there in the, <laughs> in the second half. So, I mean, he was just, uh, he was just nailing that, that the UCLA offensive line all game. And I, I think it's really fun to see Arizona be competitive in the trenches. again. they're not on roller skates. They're definitely getting some push and some momentum, um, you know, four sacks overall for the, for the game and, uh, 12 tackles for a loss. I thought that they did a really good job at uh, preventing UCLA from really busting their, their running game too, too wide open. Um, you know, Joshua Kelly had a great game, but there, there were definitely times when the Arizona defense looked like they had the UCLA offense sniffed out. Um, and unfortunately it just didn't happen enough. Yeah, Rob, we had talked about how many yards Joshua Kelly would have against Arizona. I thought we said 150 to 175 ish. And, and we weren't yeah. kidding. Like that was that was a serious, <laughs> was a serious guess. 136 yards. So he certainly did under that. He had a, the ball 31 times in his hand, which is crazy. Uh, ended up getting a touchdown. But uh, I thought for the most part, the other thing to mention, too, was zero sacks. We allowed. Um, I, I want to make sure I got that right. Yeah. So one tackle for a loss was allowed this entire time. And Rob, we had also talked about the UCLA defensive line not being great or good, but still having some momentum. So you have to give some credit to Arizona's offensive line for holding them at bay and allowing us to run. So you had pass defense and run defense, I think probably for the first time this year, right? Yeah. And they, I mean, they really blocked hard i mean running the ball arizona's line and and downfield blockers as well blocked really hard in this game um and you have to give them uh, the you know the team immense credit for that uh and kelly had a kelly had a tough game uh in this game and i think a lot of it was that spate was in there um arizona was i mean you 
most everyone has basically decided to, to you load up against UCLA and, and people try to make Dorian Thompson Robinson beat you. Um, he has actually started to figure that out a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, Arizona certainly was able to, to, you know, get, try to get downhill against uh, Kelly to contain him. Uh, and they were a little less worried about um, Spate, although he did Spate wasn't great, but he did, he did hit the passes. I guess you could say he needed to in this game. Um, it would have, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been interesting to see Arizona have to face Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, for the whole game. But yeah, I mean, real good to go back to your original point. Yeah. Real good game by the offensive line all around. Uh, and Rodriguez certainly had the the time he needed to, uh, to get through his reads. Two more things on my end to point out were the injuries first and Rick, you had alluded to this, but uh, I think it's important that we mention that the fact that we almost won this game with the injury war that came <laughs> with Arizona to travel with this game. Uh, and the second thing is, is a pet peeve of mine because this has happened a number of times now where you have uh, the end of some sort of half or game where Arizona can be more aggressive and chooses not to. And in this particular instance, it was the end of the first half where we have the ball. It's like on the 50 or there UCLA's 40 or something like it's a midfield ish, right? We have one more play left. And what quarterback do we throw out there? Rhett Rodriguez. And like, Look, you have six seconds left. Just freaking bomb the bomb the throw a bomb down the field, throw a hail mary, and see if we can catch it. And you're not going to do that with Rhett Rodriguez. It just seems that over and over again, this coaching staff has not had the balls to try to close out in times where they really need to. It's go for the field goal. It's it's run the ball up the middle. It's it's these really conservative plays where look, we're Arizona, and this is a bad team. Like if you're going to win, just freaking do it. Go balls to the wall and try to do it. And that hasn't been the uh, mentality of this coaching staff. Rick, is that a fair assessment, or am I overreacting here? I mean, there's only uh, a certain amount of uh, analysis that I can give without anyone taking a grain of salt. It's not like I get paid millions of dollars a year to to coach any kind of college football team. Um, but there's definitely like sitting at home on the couch. Like there's definitely things that you notice that that you question with this coaching staff. I thought at the end of the game, Arizona had an opportunity that you know with about two minutes left, if they would have let UCLA score. Um, then, you know, at that point, either UCLA goes for two and then, yeah, the game's over. Um, you know, but if, if they only take the field goal, you're, you're only down eight points. So at that point, the game is still within reach to be able to be tied. So I'm sitting there on my couch screaming, like, just let the UCLA running back run the ball into the end zone. Like, why are we tackling them? Like, let's just get this ball back so that we can go to work. As soon as they crossed like the 30 yard line, as soon as they were within field goal range, that should have been the mentality. You're out of timeouts. So you, it's not like you can stop them to get the ball back and they continue to run offensive plays. It's not like they were kneeling the ball. So, you know, as soon as they run an offensive play, just get out of his way, let him get into the end zone. Then we have the ball back and a chance to tie the game with about a minute and a half left. Um, you know, I, I think that there are several instances like that where, um, you know, the coaching staff has not made the right decision. Um, and maybe that's just something that they're going to uh, eventually have to, to work out once they have, the players and the personnel that they think can handle their type of game strategy. Uh, But I thought that that was a pretty easy one. 
Rob, you know, let's not step on Ronnie and Adam's toes. They're going to preview the Oregon Arizona game that's coming up, which I believe is homecoming question mark. By the way, we're going to be there. So um, I'm going down there with my dad and Rick. I didn't know that you're going to be there. And so is Josh. So we will announce that we, we will be we will be out and about and we will let you all know where we are. We'd love to meet up with you all. Um, we usually go to the same haunts every time anyway. So looking forward to that game. So we're not going to super preview Oregon, but let's talk a little bit about this team, which I think is quite good. Certainly they got, uh, I wouldn't say they got their head handed to them. They certainly did in the first half, this Oregon team against Washington state, but this is a good Oregon team. It's well coached. They have some talent. Their defense, I think is better than people give them credit for. And, uh, this is going to be a challenge for us, right, Rob? Oh, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, Arizona comes in and in the model with a 17% chance to win this game. Um, but I I don't think I actually don't think Oregon's defense is very good this year. Um, I think they did Gardner Minshew's two interceptions. I mean, Washington State still beat them by two possessions with two interceptions. It was not it's not as close as it even looked <laughs> at the end. Um, I do think that I mean, not that Arizona has anything like Washington State's offense, um, but this Oregon team, they're going to be able to show up up and um you know I, I would look for them to try to reestablish the run they really struggled running the ball against an undersized and also not very good washington state defense last week um i would look for them to try to reestablish the run with cj verdell in this game um arizona is going to have a tough time really trying to stop them but uh i'll be interested to see like arizona arizona should be able to 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 run the ball um but if they're going to have any hope of staying within 10 or you know 10 or 14 of oregon like they're they just can't turn the ball over in this game absolutely i think this offense you know everybody talks about justin herbert and rightly so he's a good quarterback he's already thrown for 1800 yards he's got 18 touchdowns five interceptions blah 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 but cj verdell like you mentioned is averaging 5.4 yards per carry they also have travis day who might be a little bit hurt i have to go back and look i know one of the die brothers is was injured in the game against washington state but they also have tony brooks james and who on earth on this arizona team is going to guard dylan mitchell this is a wide receiver who is very good he has 600 yards already three touchdowns but he is somebody that 42 receptions like he <laughs> the one thing i guess he could do is double him because it's not like herbert's throwing it anywhere else right rick yeah well i mean brennan schooler i thought had a really you know pretty decent game for oregon against washington state so that's definitely an, another option there for him jacob breland i i think is a pretty good wide receiver but i mean this is going to be the justin herbert show arizona has not seen a quarterback like justin herbert so far this year, I think that uh, it's going to be an extreme challenge for Arizona's secondary to keep pace. Um, this is one of those situations where you know Oregon's coming off of this this loss. Um, yeah, it's Arizona's homecoming, but you know to be honest with where the record is, the crowd's probably not going to be all that popular. I mean, we're going to do our best to get things going. You know, it depends on on how many drinks you feed me and Josh, I guess. <laughs> but uh, um, I think that this is honestly one that. That's going to be over by halftime. I'm sorry to say, but uh, at least we'll be able to get drinks at no anchovies afterwards. No, it'll be super fun. I mean, and just to see up close and personal Jalen Jelks, who is just an amazing defensive lineman for this team. I I think Oregon's front seven is quite. It's going to be quite frustrating for Arizona to do anything on the ground. And if Rhett Rodriguez is the quarterback, there's no line in this game right now because they're not certain yet who the quarterback is going to be. But if it is Rhett Rod, this is going to be the biggest challenge I think he's going to have from now until the end of the, the year, I think. Right. Wouldn't this be the best, most like aggressive front seven that Arizona is going to face, Rob? 
it'll, it'll probably be the most aggressive front seven. But the tough thing is for, I mean, it, it may be to benefit is that that Oregon secondary just can't cover. Yeah. Um, and so there, you know, if, if Arizona's wide receivers are going to have a good game, like maybe this is it. So, you know, if, uh, if Arizona can pick up the blitz um, and, you know, keep Rhett Rod upright, um, he has a he has a decent shot in this game. And Herbert, if you take out the Stanford game, like his he's run out some pretty bad completion percentages in this this year um, that I feel like are getting a little overlooked by people. And he he didn't he didn't really crush it against Washington State yet again. Um, you know, he was about 55 percent for the game. So uh, Herbert can be quite human um, if given the opportunity. I mean, and he's he's done it against some bad defenses, too. So uh, I'd like to see if, if Arizona gets lucky. Um, I mean, I, and I think it's going to take some luck and maybe some turnovers um, and a clean sheet on turnovers for Arizona to, to keep this game close. But I would expect Oregon just, you know, lines it up like they did against Washington and just runs the ball um, right at Arizona. You got to look out for Jordan Scott. I, I yeah. The, the thing I 100 percent agree with you. The secondary of Oregon is quite not good <laughs> and Arizona will be able to throw against this. But is it? I think the key to this game is will Rhett Rodriguez have the time to do that? And I think the answer is likely no in most cases because they are just going to do a lot of nasty, nasty things to him. In terms of scheme, I mean, Jim Levitt is one of the best defensive coordinators west of the Mississippi. And this, they're, they're going to find ways, I think, to keep. Plus, I think one of the things that Levitt's going to know is, look, Rhett Rodriguez isn't going to th- throw the ball deep. So just keep things, you know, guard guard the 10 15 yard passes and let's see if he can bomb it and even if he does our offense is going to be better than this defense so it'll be really interesting to see how much time Rhett Rod has back there if he ends up being the quarterback I'm trying to think of some other well, oh the, the school are off oh go go ahead go ahead uh what were you, gonna well, say, you I mean like in almost all of their big games this year Oregon has just not gotten to the opposing quarterback um, I mean, they got to Browning a little bit more than anyone else, but they really didn't get to. I mean, and let's not get ourselves Arizona's offensive line. I'm about to list Washington State and Stanford. I mean, and Washington State's offensive line may not be great, Chigs, but Minshew gets the ball out. Um, they really have. They didn't get to Costello nearly enough uh, in that game. And, and Costello, as we saw with Utah and, and, and Notre Dame, I mean, he hears footsteps. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I'm not. I think this this Oregon defense has a lot of nice individual parts, um, and I have an immense amount of respect for Jim Levitt as a DC. I just I don't. I, they have not really put it together yet this year. One thing to keep in mind is CJ Verdell is listed as questionable against Arizona, so um, I'm curious to see whether or not he shows up in this game. But Rick, we got a schooler off, man. We so we were in Houston. Shout yeah. out to the schooler family. We saw saw the mom and the dad, uh, which was which is really fun. So it'll be fun to see both of those kids go at it. Obviously, the older brother being Brendan uh, at Oregon, but Colin, I, I would argue, is the better player. No offense, no offense, schooler family. I know they listen to the podcast, but <laughs> but uh, might be a little biased there. What do you think about the the schooler bowl here, Rick? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, they, they played against each other last year. Um, you know, and Colin had a really big role on last year's defense. And I thought that Brennan schooler didn't really have as big of a role on, on Oregon's offense. But I think that schooler Brennan, Brennan schooler has kind of established himself a little bit more in the Oregon offense this year. So it should be really interesting to see if we do get that schooler off. Like last year, we were kind of hoping to see Colin, uh, really stick it to his brother. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't really happen for us. I think that we'll be cheering for that again this year. 
Um, and I, I, I don't know, I'm going to be on school or parents watch because last year, you know, they had the split jerseys, uh, with it being at Arizona this year. I'm wondering if, uh, maybe they, they lean a little bit more towards Collins side, probably not, but you know, that would be cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, the time, time to put some skin in the game here. What would you set the line at if you knew that Rhett Rodriguez was the quarterback, Rob? Uh, I'd set the line at uh, 17 points. Okay. What do you think, Rick? 17 was exactly what I had in my head. So I was, I was going to say 13 and a half just because of the secondary, and I would have taken <laughs> Oregon. So I guess that means that it should be higher. So <laughs> let's say 17. Okay. All right. Well, we are looking forward to seeing some friends out there uh, for that game. So stay tuned. But we need to get to uh, our next segment which is called the My Bookie Sleazy Bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, all right. We are back, and we got sponsored, guys. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, money. Money is good. Money is great. Uh, no, a big thanks to uh, mybookie.ag, which is a sports book. And, you know, watching football is fun and it's entertaining. And stuff, but you got to have some skin in the game. I mean, that's really when, when, it, when it gets real. And I think this is a good partnership. Our podcast, we continuously talk about betting against the spread. So if you're an expert or a rookie, like you should go to my bookie. It is uh, an excellent site. It's one of the more premium uh, respected uh, books out there. Uh, they also have like roulette and and all that stuff, but I really want to focus on college football because you can do the parlays. You pick three teams, you hit all three, you win a lot of money. That's Rick's move, right? Rick, you're into the parlays. Um, I I'm into so what I like to do, especially during college basketball season, is like I'll pick out five or six games that I'm pretty confident that I'm going to win, and then I'll 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 group everything into a parlay, and I'll just I'll just play that. Um, I hit them every once in a while. Um, you know, when they're three or four, I, I, the, the most that I've ever hit is a sixer. Um, I put a 10, a 10 spot parlay in one time when we were in Vegas and I missed it on the very last game Friggin' grand Canyon university didn't cover the spread. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I missed out on a couple thousand dollars that night, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a way to kind of like increase the, the revenue that you get, um, by kind of doubling down essentially for not as much money on what you think are going to be your correct bets. So, you know, you just look at your games, take the ones that you feel really, really confident about, group them into like a $5 bet, make some extra money. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fun. You can turn a hundred into 600. You can turn five into 20, depending on the bets. I like to do uh, games just one-on-one. I, I'm a little bit more conservative. You know, I'll just take one game, one game at a time, but playoff baseball's here. You got the NFL, the you know, NFL playoffs are coming up. You have college football, college basketball, um, get some skin in the game with my bookie. It's a really good book. Um, I highly recommend them. A couple things. Look, if you're on the sidelines and you've been waiting, uh, my bookie is going to right now, if you log on to my bookie, uh, they will double your money. If you use the promo code wildcat and you uh, deposit more than a hundred dollars, they will match it a hundred percent. So you double your money on what you can bet, which is awesome. That's uh, promo code wildcat. So I actually just did this and it worked. <laughs> and the reason I did is it is always good to have multiple books. So right now I was working with one book and, um, and I was kind of stuck with the lines that they have so right like 
you know, uh, they post one line at three and a half and I don't have anywhere else to compare. So I opened my account with my bookie. I got the hundred percent bonus. Uh, I have the $200 in the account now. And now like a great example is the Washington state game. Uh, it's three and a half at my bookie. It's three at the other one that I use. So I can get that extra half point. So you always want to shop. You always want to look around with your bets, particularly the futures. Um, if you're making future bets, that could be the difference between hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, depending on how much you're betting, depending on what lines you get where you know you want to take Oregon to win the Pac-12 you know uh, one book will have it at 12 to 1 one book will have it at 6 to 1 and you want to make sure to get the 12 to 1 um, so log on to my bookie we'll actually put the link into our show notes we'll also put the link uh, on our Twitter account and our Facebook account uh, if you click on the link you use the promo code Wildcat they will double your money and this is not an offer they're going to have uh, for the long haul so I think this is like a, a couple week promo that they're going to do so definitely take advantage of it check it out and our thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast it's always fun when they give us a chance and we're looking forward to it. So uh, check out that link, uh, the promo code Wildcat, double your money when you uh, make your first deposit. And uh, they should do it really soon, because if my bookie is going to match my deposit and give me more money to gamble with, I'm probably going to win enough money to shut down the site here pretty soon. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, roll with this, man. Like, we're doing pretty well this year. I'm not going to promise that we're going to do this well next year, although we probably will. Um, we, we've been we've been grinding and doing a pretty good job. So if you want to join the fun, uh, check out my bookie. And let, let's get into this, guys. Um, Friday at 7.30. By the way, so the, the sleazy bets is when we talk about the week nine games, we do give a preview. What we do is we go game by game. We talk about what game is coming up, and then we talk about how the teams that are playing in week nine did in the previous week, so in week eight. So the first one being Friday at 7.30, Utah is an 11 point. By the way, all these lines are on my bookie. I, I pulled them away from uh, from the other, <laughs> other books. These are all on the site. Uh, Friday at 7.30 p.m., Utah is an 11 point favorite at UCLA. Um, Utah had a great game against USC, 41 to 28. The game wasn't that close. I was so impressed, Rob, by the fact that, you know, USC comes out, just drops 14 points immediately. And I wasn't worried. I was a little worried, but I wasn't super worried. I, I knew that USC was the better. I'm sorry. You knew that Utah was the better team in this game. I knew that they were at home. They have a good defense. They have a good offense, and they proved me right. Uh, they came back and just were clicking. What what happened in this game? Why did Utah, uh, why were they able to step on the gas? Well, they were able to step on the gas because their offense, which I really thought their offense was going to, uh, you know, in the same way that you could say that they did against Arizona, like you're going to have great field position all night because Arizona's going to be punting. Utah has far better special teams. Um, Tyler Huntley had himself a game in this game uh, against a good USC defense, uh, and Utah really jumped up. I mean, their their offense right now uh, is ranked number 27 in beta rank um, after coming out of this game against USC. So really watch out for the Utah offense. Like Huntley had himself a great game throwing the ball. He was also really effective, um, you know, when he chose to run, uh, which is something that I think Huntley has struggled with in the past is making that decision when to stick it or stick around and throw when to run. Um, but he had some beautiful deep balls. Um, Utah's wide receivers, which I think sort of a lot of you fans have been sort of waiting on, um, really came through. But I mean, the, the the parts that I think you could say like were 
where the Utah really turned it was uh, there was a Britain Cubby play where no one seemed to be able to tackle him, and um, you know it was almost like every 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 Pac-12 team has to have their week where they needed to have tackling practice afterwards, and this was it for USC because they really struggled to tackle um, both against uh, Britton Covey and Zach Moss. I mean. Utah really just turned on the Jets on offense in this game. Absolutely. I was so impressed with Huntley. 22 for 29, 341 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. That's a hell of a game, man. We're right on. Uh, Zach Moss, 25 carries for 135 yards. They were able to get it done on the ground. Flipping it around here, just utter incompetence. By the way, um, 14 of USC's uh, 28 points were scored in the fourth quarter when this game was over. So th- this this score is not reflective of what actually happened. Like Utah stomped, stomped on USC. JT Daniels, I have, <laughs> I should have said this a few weeks ago because I was uh, I was talking about it with I forget who it was, but I have not seen more hype for a quarterback that isn't very good in a very long time. Like JT Daniels is a true freshman. I understand that is really difficult to play in a division one program when you're supposed to be a senior in high school. With that said, like he has not been able to get it done. He's had some beautiful balls, but over the course of the year, I mean, he's what, what, like, where would you rank him Rob in the PAC 12 in terms of quarterbacks? Eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. Six for 16, 89 yards, touchdown, two picks, and then he got injured. We had a Matt Fink sighting, man. Matt Fink. <laughs> Who wasn't Who then got injured. Yeah. Six for seven and a touchdown right on Fink. Get out there. You know, I was curious. Our friend Alicia Deartola over at the Reina Troy podcast had tweeted out, like, when are we going to see somebody else? This is before Daniels got hurt. And I, I was uh, I thought that was a legitimate question. Like, when is USC going to roll out another quarterback if they can't continue moving the ball forward, which was, again, the case against Utah? Granted, Utah's defense was uh, pretty rough. Rick, let's uh, let's get your thoughts here on this game. Uh, were you surprised that Utah was able to bring the noise against SC? Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily surprised. I did. I did think that Utah was going to win this game pretty handily just because USC's offense has been so inconsistent this year. Um, and I think that, you know, this, this game was just another, I mean, you kind of asked like what happened in the first half, you know, they got out to a 14, nothing early lead. Uh, you know, a lot of that was Utah not, you know, performing to what they were capable of. Obviously that second Trojan touchdown was scored on a on a fumble recovery there, um, you know. And as soon as Utah settled down, Tyler Huntley definitely established himself as the better quarterback in the game. JT Daniels might be like the eighth or ninth worst quarterback in in, in the Pac-12, uh, but he definitely has the worst mustache, um, <laughs> <laughs> like full on number twelve. I I. I thought I read something that, that he had gotten a haircut and like shaved it. And I was like, all right, well, that's good. You know, at least UCLA should kind of rebound from that. But uh, yeah, he's got more problems than just that terrible mustache. So you know, it's going to be a long rebuilding process for USC. It's, it's one that I'm not sure that Todd Helton necessarily survives. I think that at this point he'd probably get away with just firing the offensive coordinator and maybe squeak another year out of it. But unless they can get this offense stabilized, they're not going to be able to do too much in the PAC 12 um, and I, I don't think that uh, JT Daniels is the guy, at least not at this point, to get it done. You know, 
One of the questions we got from our permanent sponsor, The Sexual Intellectual, who has been a big fan of the podcast for years, had asked the question, does Clay Helton have a job after this? How hot is his seat? I think it's a little hotter than you likely think it is, Rick. And the reason is, if you talk to the USC fans and that fan base, they are quite aware that, yes, they won a decent amount of games last year, but the games that counted, they got waxed, whether it was Ohio State or Notre Dame. So I think there's this kind of under current of yeah yeah whatever the Pac-12 South kind of sucks and uh, you know we've we've been able to beat the teams that were supposed to beat but does does Helton have what it takes to actually be the coach I am curious I don't think he survives the year particularly if they drop another game but you can't you can't play a Utah program and just get embarrassed like that and, and then when you add the fact like the USC fans were quite aware that they can't move the ball so like after they scored their 14th point somebody had uh, called into the Rain of Troy podcast and basically said I don't think we can move or like i wouldn't be surprised if we don't score again like that is the level of uh uh skepticism that this program has out of the fact that they can't run the ball rob like what what do you think clay's chances are for the rest of the season of actually being the coach at the end i think he could get away with because they have recruited so well i think that he could get away with firing t martin you know, T. Martin's out there as the sacrificial lamb. We're going to go with a different direction on offense. You know, like, fine. Um, I think you could get away with that. Um, and I, I do think that USC does have some awareness within their athletic department of the cost that they have borne from changing as many coaches as often as they have uh, in the last 10 years. <laughs> you know, like uh, you can only do so many midseason firings. Um, yeah. Lane Kiffin just bought a bottle of Cristal with uh, the check that USC probably still owes him. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it just, if, if they, if they reach eight wins, and I know that's a really low bar for USC. Um, you know, I, I still look at this US like it just, it, but the other part is it just really all depends on that Notre Dame game at the end too. Like yeah. you could say that, you know, it's all fine, you know, until they, and you know, they reach eight wins, but if they just get waxed by Notre Dame um, and then I, I mean, there are some there are some good teams in the Pac-12. Um, there are no great teams in the Pac-12, um, and there's there's the possibility, depending on how things shake out, where like the Pac-12, like the good teams have to go play great teams in in some very good bowls, um, and some teams like USC who are kind of like in the middle get stuck playing against some good team, you know, and like say the Alamo Bowl or something like that. There's a potential that they could get, you know, like somebody could wipe the floor with them again uh, in a bowl game. And if that happens, then all bets are off. Yeah, that's you know, good. Like, I mean, that's a great call. Back to back 20 point losses to end the season. <laughs> yeah, see. I mean, it's nothing's going to save them at that point. I mean, USC fans are going to be done. Um, but I think if if they manage to play respectable against Notre Dame, I just I, I look back at this and we talked about this like USC's defense is good. Like, I don't think that like I think the injuries have hurt i think they've been a little more inconsistent than we'd like they're thin like it shows how thin they are at safety um but the decision to go with jt daniels just looks worse every week because he's not progressing like at no point has jt daniels gotten any better than he was at the beginning of the season um that that he that first touchdown and get utah was yet again a poorly thrown jt daniels ball that a receiver just went up and got i don't know like i just i'm 
I'm amazed again at that, that decision when I, I think Fink is pretty good. I thought, I mean, from all accounts, like it was very close in camp and Sears was great too. So um, I, I just, I guess I look at it and think of like uh, the fact that they really stuck with Daniels through thick and thin through this, through some really bad plays as, you know, like they, they've reaped this, this reward. I'd push back on a couple things. The first being that Fink and Sears were good in camp. I know that Alicia basically <laughs> signs where she just said nobody can complete a pass uh, outside yeah. of the seven on sevens where, you know, I, I'm sure that it was better than, but there certainly was a lot of skepticism on her end on whether or not those two guys. And I think she thought that it was going to be Daniels the whole time because those two, uh, you know, because Sears and Fink weren't getting it done when he wasn't there taking notes with his backpack on on the sidelines. I think the second thing is with USC, they're going to recruit well regardless of who's there for the most part. I mean, unless unless you get someone who's incompetent at, at recruiting, USC has been able to pull in top talent year after year regardless of the coach. They had a drunk on the sidelines that was bringing in good uh, recruiting classes. They had Lane Kiffin who was bringing in good recruiting classes. So I do think that Yes, uh, Helton could hang his hat on recruiting, but he likely uh, can do it less than other coaches would be able to to do at other schools, if that makes sense. But I do understand, like looking at when we did our USC preview going like, oh, sweet mother of Moses, look at all these players that they have. That is it's better than normal, even at USC. So I, I understand yeah. that front. Um you know, pivoting to this game against UCLA, we're not certain if Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to start. And I think that makes a difference. I was not impressed with uh, the way that Wilton Spate played against Arizona. Um, if you look at the injury report for UCLA, there are like 15 people on it right now. This is a banged up team that um, is young and is making mistakes. They beat Arizona, but that game was, uh, I mean, there was a lot of penalties and a lot of self-owns from the UCLA program. Uh, Rick, when you take a look at this game, what are some of the keys that you're going to keep an eye on for? Um, I, I really think that this is going to be uh, a situation where so Arizona's wide receivers were able to to really kind of wreak havoc on UCLA's secondary. Um, so I think it bodes really well for Tyler Huntley coming in off of a four touchdown uh, performance against USC. Um, with the line only being at eleven, I think that that kind of uh, gives UCLA a little bit too much credit in playing at home. The Rose Bowl is by no means like the ultimate venue. There are people giving tickets away. Um, you know, up to, you know, 30 minutes before the, the game against Arizona, you know, it's, it's so tough to get across California in traffic. I know that that's not like a huge excuse. Like you win games, people are going to come out, but you know, so I don't really see giving UCLA too much, too many points for home field advantage. I probably would have had this closer to like, uh, you know, an 18 or 19 point spread. So I think that 11 points is very generous. Um, and so I'm definitely going to be going with Utah in this situation. I want to give a shout out to Utah's defense, which we do early and often, but Chase Hansen had a hell of a game against SC at three tackles for a loss, 11 tackles. Corey Barton has become a player that I think Utah fans thought that he was going to be. I just, I, I'm with Rick. I think that 11 points is lower than I would have anticipated. I would have thought it had been around 13 and a half to 15 um, for this team. And yes, it's at the Rose Bowl, but this Utah team is on fire. The only thing I think this could be is a letdown game. Like that would be, it's the personal reasons, not the X's and O's. But I'm curious to what your numbers say, Rob, about the game. I really like Utah in this game. I, I'm I'm with you too. I, I, this line makes no sense to me. Utah uh, in this game comes in in the model at a... a 
91% favorite. <laughs> so, um, that's a lot, that's a lot, that's a lot closer to 20 points than it is to, uh, 10. So, um, that doesn't, that does bode well for UCLA. Um, the Arizona was able to run all over <clears throat> this UCLA front. I would, I would look for Utah to be able to run, you know, all over this UCLA front as well. Uh, and if they don't have Dorian Thompson Robinson there, um, and Utah is able to just stack the line and take away Joshua Kelly running the ball, like this is going to be a really long night because Utah's got a good secondary. They can cover. Um, I would, I don't, there's not much about this game other than like if Tyler Huntley just has a doozy of a game and you have some bad fumble luck, like, you know, like I, I would expect Utah to cover 10 points pretty handily unless they have like three or four turnovers. Or if you have an uninterested defense, I mean, there is that letdown factor. That's probably the biggest one. I know USC isn't what it should be this year, but, um, that's a big win for them in the Pac-12 South, and that means a ton to that Utah team. Uh, just, I think they know that they've crossed the barrier. So just keep that in mind. I mean, I'm going to take Utah, and I'll probably put some money on this. By the way, this is why you should have two books. Is uh, One book has it at 10, one of them has it at 11. Uh, I took the MyBookie one for the 11, which is what we're doing for this segment. But uh, you know that that one point is can be important, right? That's a, a field goal and a touchdown. <laughs> so uh, with that said, though, I still, I'm going to take Utah and it'll be interesting to see if they'll be able to cover and, and live up to uh, expectations in this game, because I do think there is a possibility where they just come out flat, but still win the game anyway. Um, any, anything else on this game before we go to the next one? Hearing none Saturday at noon, Oregon state, a 24, a 24 point, friggin underdog man at on the road at colorado oregon state is a mess and uh this line is rightly so high um colorado comes off a loss against washington we'll talk about that game here colorado 13 washington 27 colorado came out strong i think they went up 10-0 but washington and they, they could have been uh, 14-0 they ended up settling for the field goal but washington was the better team they had the better depth uh and Colorado didn't score in the second half, which I thought was great. Rick, let's go with you first. Did you have a chance to uh, watch the Washington-Colorado game? Um, I only watched a little bit of it, just kind of in between other games, just because uh, they're kind of more important games to my day going on um, at, at the time. But I, I, I expected Colorado to maybe – I did end up taking – I think the spread was like 17, so I, I, I took Colorado and, and, uh, and the points – um, so I was, I was glad that they were able to keep it within kind of that two touchdown range. Um, but I expected it to be even kind of a little bit closer than that. I think that, um, you know, like we, we talked about earlier with them kind of getting away from their, their game plan of letting Steven Montez throw the ball about 40 to 50 times a game, I thought really kind of affected their offense. Um, and I look for them to get back to that, uh, against Oregon state. There, there's definitely an opportunity for them to score a lot of points in this game. Um, you know, I just really, once it starts to get towards that 30 point spread line, those are games that I don't really like to bet on personally. Um, you know, but I guess, you know, for, for all intents and purposes of this conversation, uh, it's really hard to put any kind of, you know, money real or fake on Oregon state at this point. Um, you know, so, so Colorado, I I look for them to to put up a lot of points and, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and and give up those points. This situation. What was that rule of Rick that you came up with last year, Rick, with the big spreads? Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. The bigger the spread, stay away. (laughs) (laughs) I I probably, I 
I probably worded it a lot better <laughs> last year, but yeah, you know, like once you get into like those, those really big spread games, like at that point, like, unless you're betting on, on there being some kind of, uh, you know, big upset, those are games that you should just stay away from because they can really go either way. I mean, the, the huge spreads, you know, all, all, all that you really to have, you know, the, the team that's favored come out flat for one quarter and all of a sudden, uh, that, that four spread game is more like a, a three touchdown spread game. Um, you know, it, it, there's just too many, too many, too many variables. Two things to keep in mind here. LaVisca Chenault still listed as questionable against Oregon State uh, with a toe injury. I would argue probably a head injury, too, just based on that hit that he took. Uh, I think it was against USC. And then Washington, Miles Gaskin still with his shoulder. He missed uh, the game against... Um, Whoever they played, uh, Colorado. Duh. He was <laughs> the game against Colorado and uh, is uncertain uh, for uh, Washington's game coming up, just to throw that out there. Rob, I watched a decent amount of this game, but wanted to get your thoughts on what happened. Yeah, I, I really think I was – two things I was surprised about. One was that uh, I actually think Colorado's defense had a pretty decent game. Uh, in this game um, and really in a lot of ways outshone their offense and what would had to be a frustrating game for the Colorado defense to, to play so well, even with the injuries that they have um, in this game, but to go up to Washington and to, to kind of put together the game they had and be let down by their offense, I um, had to be disappointing. And um, I think it's good. I mean, the Colorado defense really took a step back last year after um, the year they had under Jim Levitt when they won the the South, but uh, they look, they look pretty respectable this year. Uh, but I was surprised uh, as Rick was again, you know, with Colorado's offense here I, I, and not to take anything away. Washington has a good defense. Um, you know, they, after this, the week they had, they grayed out once again, tops in the pac 12. But, uh, I, I was surprised by what Colorado didn't have an answer yet again. I mean, last week they, when they went into the Coliseum and, um, USC was really able to effectively shut down their screen game. Uh, and they didn't have an, they didn't have much of an answer after that. Uh, and in this game, I mean, Colorado just didn't, was not able to throw the ball down field, um, which has been one of their MOs. And you can talk about, you know, they've, they've had, you know, to, you know, Chenault out. Uh, and I know they had another wide receiver out as well, but they got Juwan Winfrey back for this game. Um, they were supposed to have much more depth at wide receiver uh, than I think that they, they showed in this game. And, um, you know, if, if Montez is, and, and Chivarini is, is just got to have better answers. I mean, I know a lot of the folks up in Boulder are really high on him. Um, you know, and, you know, a lot of folks have been throwing around that he's going to be, you know, gone so quickly. He's going to have a head coaching job. Like, not after the last two weeks. Like, he has not, he's not had answers. He's not had good game plans. Um, you know, like they, they really need to, to saddle up, but when you get to play and there's no, there's no two ways about it. Oregon state has the number 130 ranked defense in all of college football. Um, when you let Cal put up a 49 spot on you and Cal has a horrendous offense, um, this is just what the doctor ordered for Colorado's offense. I mean, it, I don't care who's playing. I mean, Colorado has a 98.4 win probability in this game um i it is you're right rick i mean it's tough because without chenault you know you get one turnover you know 24 points i mean colorado is roughly like a 31 point favorite in the model but um one thing goes wrong and you know they don't cover 
Um, the one thing is, you know, Oregon State with Jamar Jefferson, like I'm not sure what his status is for this game. Um, he was a little banged up against Cal, uh, and they really had a tough – Oregon State really had a tough uh, offensive outing. Um, Blount got hurt. Um, they brought in their third-string quarterback against Cal. Like they had a really tough time in that game. Um, I would I, – I think I would take Colorado to, to, to cover in this um, and like – just because I have no faith in the Beavers, uh, particularly if Jefferson uh, is is in any way banged up, even if he plays, if he's playing banged up, like uh, it could be a tough outing for them against a decent Colorado defense. Whatever this this line could be thirty five, and I'd take Colorado. I, <laughs> I really, and I, I realize that like. And to answer your question, Rob, um, Connor Blunt's listed as questionable. Jamar Jefferson is listed as questionable. Jake Luton is is uh, listed as questionable. So, um, <laughs> good lord, Oregon State! Oh my gosh. Uh, I have two questions for you though. The first is, who else is going to run the football? Like, let's say Trayvon McMillan gets hurt or something. I mean, Kyle Evans is their backup, and that guy has had like forty five touches all game. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not they get him in the game, and if he also runs for two hundred yards against this Oregon State uh, defense because he could. And right. but my bigger question is, uh, you know, our friends at the Free Ball Podcast definitely pointed to the wide receiving core, and they were right about Chenault. But they also had, like you mentioned, you know, Juwan Winfrey. They pointed to him and Tony Brown and Katie Nixon. Has Chenault's success? cloaked the fact that the other wide receivers aren't as good as we thought they were because that's the impression that i have at this point uh yeah i think it's a it's it's fair to ask that question i think chanel definitely um focuses a defense on him when he's in the game uh and i think the other receivers have definitely benefited from that um i think nixon's had a very good year sort of hitting cleanup behind chanel you could argue uh but it's it's worth asking i mean with these these guys as we've seen them both in parts of that USC game and against Washington, which has a very good defense and secondary, if they if they can sort of stand on their own, I don't know that it's all on them. I think some of this is scheme. I don't think Chivarini in in both cases he didn't have the same game plan uh, against Washington uh, as he did against USC, but um, he didn't he didn't. You, I don't think you could argue that he really put his team in a position to win. Um, even though, and I would also say Colorado's offensive line didn't have a huge game. Montez had enough time pretty often uh, in that game to to maybe even throw the ball downfield. But you you have to have to ask the question. We don't get to see the all twenty two. Like were guys even getting open? Um, you know, like or did they just decide to to not you know try that? Okay, all right. Well, let's move on to the next game. And Rick, for posterity, did you take Colorado in the points? Yeah, for posterity, I did. Okay, all right. Twelve thirty. ASU at USC. There's no line on this game. I'm assuming because they're trying to see whether or not JT Daniels is playing. But uh, so ASU had an interesting game. Thirteen to Stanford's twenty. And Rob, I think we're going to disagree on this game because I thought that Stanford was by far the better team. I thought they really let the foot off the gas, and we'll talk about that in a second. But they were the better team. They were the most more athletic team. I thought they clearly dominated, obviously, the first half. And and then David Shaw went all David Shaw. And my favorite quote besides, you know, saying that David Shaw doesn't like math was one of the announcers said, 
well, Stanford can't go in their shell here, can they? And I'm like, have you watched any Stanford game for the last 10 years? Of course they're going to go in their shell and run up the middle, run up the run, run up the middle, run up the middle, you know, three and out, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, three and out. And then they did it again, man. They did like nine just straight up gut plays. And uh, Costello's throwing his helmet on the sideline because, and rightly so, because of the play calling on that front. But they seem to give ASU every chance to win that game. And ASU just could not not do it. I thought Manny Wilkins came out uh, really poorly in that second half. It just wasn't able to, to close the deal. But what do you think? Well, you can flip that around and say like, man, like ASU gave Stanford every shot to win that game. <clears throat> I mean, so ASU, if you're, if you, if you're an ASU fan, you are 20 yards from tying the game being minus three on turnovers in that game. Like, come on. Like, Stan- I mean, even if you said Stanford went off the gas, like they didn't go three possessions off the gas, um, you know, to, to just hand the ball over to ASU. Like, I I, I just, I, I think, don't get me wrong, like ASU wasn't sharp. I think Stanford had a good game on top of it, mostly defensively. I don't think the Stanford offense had a terrific game in that game. But um, the... Uh, I think ASU, like when they look back at that game, they're going to see that Manny Wilkins wasn't really sharp. The receivers in particular also didn't do him any favors. Um, I mean, they really threw away a game that they, they should have won. Like, I, I think that overall that uh, they probably should have won. Yeah, and Rob, you had wanted Manny Wilkins to throw the ball, and boy, did he oblige. 26 of 43 yeah. attempts for 353 yards, uh, no touchdowns through a pick, and so did Nikhil Harry uh, end up throwing a pick too. It's interesting. You know, Benjamin touched the ball 11 times, so they, they definitely took that advice, and he just wasn't sharp. Uh, Rick, did, did you have a chance to, to watch this game? Yeah, I actually watched the end of the game while I was at the gym, um, you know, and I'm running on the treadmill and I'm talking to the guys next to me about just how ASU had kind of put themselves into a position to tie up this game at the end and how they just did not execute. I mean, there's that that final play where Herm Edwards thinks that they can get back to the line of scrimmage and, and spike the ball with, you know, three seconds left. And, you know, for that last play, you either got to throw the ball into the end zone or you got to get out of bounds. There's no in between. Uh, preferably the former. You gotta, you gotta take a shot at the end zone. You gotta give Nikhil Harry, who's the best player on your team, a chance to tie this game up for your team. Um, you know, and he was only targeted once on the on that drive. Uh, so you know, it's definitely some some coaching decisions that are head scratchers there from from Herd Edwards and the crew. Um, I think that ultimately what, uh, what what this game boiled down to is just the amount of pressure that Stanford was able to put on Manny Wilkins. Yeah, he threw for forty three times, but he probably got hit on every single one of those throws. I mean, Stanford was in his <laughs> yeah. face all day. Uh, you know, so a lot of credit to Manny Wilkins for standing in there and taking all of that punishment. Uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't feel the effects of that this week. But, um, you know, that that was where Stanford's defense, I think, really kind of set the tone for the game was, you know, if Manny Wilkins is going to be thrown as much as he is, we're going to make him work for every throw. Um, you know, and Nikhil Harry, I think, did a really good job of keeping Arizona in the game. They obviously spread the ball around and, you know, we're able to get the ball, you know, uh, in, into the hands of their running backs through the air as well through through passing opportunities. But uh, you know, ASU, you, you know, you can argue all day whether it was Stanford who let ASU back in or ASU just kind of like hung around. Um, you know, but ultimately the execution wasn't there for them to pull this off, and I think that that's ultimately what separated them from the Stanford team. 
couple items to keep in mind. You had Bryce Love that came out of the game with another aggravated ankle injury, so it'll be interesting to see if he ends up playing uh, in the future. I would assume so. But we live in a world where Stanford doesn't have a backup running back. I mean, Cameron Scarlett is not the guy. Trevor Sprites is not the guy. Or Spates is not the guy. And you kind of wonder, like, what are they doing uh, on the recruiting trail? I remember when we wrote our preview for Stanford I'm like where are the running backs on this team outside of Bryce Love and the answer is that they aren't there so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can move the ball on the ground and I think this bodes well for Washington State in their matchup with them Uh, another item to keep in mind is ASU had 12 tackles for a loss in this game 12 so it wasn't like they weren't able to get in the backfield as well Uh, Rob any any other items we should mention in this game yeah, I mean, would you? I mean, that's the one of the things that I think ASU had a complaint about, and it's a little bit legitimate um, about it. I'm sure Danny Gonzalez is going to get fined for his comments, but like the the game was the ASU had some pretty ticky tacky pass interference called at points in the game. I mean, there was a ball that KJ Costello basically short armed. Um, and, and it's not just the normal, like my, one of my personal least favorite things is the underthrown ball pass interference, but, um, KJ Costello basically like hit the defensive back practically in the feet, um, you know, skipped it into his feet and they got a pass interference called on it. Um, like, I don't know that Stanford, you know, even gets to 20 points in this game without some of those PI calls. Um, so I, I do have more concerns about the Stanford offense sort of, and how they're functioning, uh, coming out of this week than I've, I've had in a while uh at least since i mean don't get me wrong but they got mauled by utah and notre dame but utah and notre dame have very good defensive fronts that really put you know the fear of god into costello uh asu you know like while they were getting they were aggressive and getting around and getting in the backfield to to hit running backs like they didn't really get to costello quite enough, as much as you would have liked uh in this game and um I, I think it doesn't bode well for them heading into a game where they're going to have to try to keep up with Gardner Minshew. I'd point out that the throw from Manny Wilkins at the end of the game likely was on Manny Wilkins. I mean, and as the quarterback, you got to know that. And the reason I oh, would that was that was a Manny Wilkins. Like Manny Wilkins wasn't sharp in this game um, at all. That was definitely on him. But um, there was there was just it was a the, like I, I'm sure ASU is pretty mad at themselves after this game and also a little bit mad at the refs for some pretty sketchy pass interference. I mean, and then that call like I mean Manny Wilkins they didn't get a late hit like the guy hit Manny Wilkins out of bounds and then rolled on top of him later as they went out of bounds and they they had no late hit on that call like and then the next play Manny Wilkins fumbles it I'm like just. Weird, weird game. <laughs> I love the Herm Edwards face where it's just, and it's not mocking him. It's more him realizing that he's coaching 18 year olds. It was just like, oh, these freaking guys. <laughs> like, that was his face when uh, Wilkins threw the ball for like in the flat or whatever at the end of the game. He's like, oh, it's freaking, this freaking. Oh, guy. yeah. But, well, uh, no, I mean, but Herm, I mean, the whole clock, I mean, Rick's right. Like, the clock management that's was true. atrocious yeah. at the end. I mean, and that is all on Herm. I mean, just like, I mean, don't you guys practice two-minute drill? Like, come on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, so ASU has USC on the road, and I like I like ASU in this game. I think that USC is weak. Uh, they have a quarterback 
possible controversy or and or an injured quarterback. They can't run the football. I know that ASU's run defense isn't great, but um, I just don't trust this USC offense. The one thing that really gives me pause, and I forgot about this when the Colorado game was happening when they played USC, is USC plays well at home. They always play well at home, and uh, particularly in conference. But, man, I, I'm kind of bullish. I'm curious what you think, Rick. Yeah, that was actually a point that I was going to bring up myself. Was I, I was going to say, if this game was being played in Tempe, I'd definitely have some money on ASU this weekend. But uh, with, with USC you know, and that, that home field advantage, this Arizona State team, they do a lot of things well, but one of the things that they haven't done well so far is play, play on the road. So you know, you, you have kind of both of those things coming to a head here. So I'm sorry, did you say what the spread was in this game? There isn't a spread because they're uncertain whether or not JT Daniels and Bryce Love are going to play. Mm-hmm. I'd have to imagine that USC would probably be somewhere in the, that six to eight point range as far as a favorite is concerned. Um, and I do like them to kind of score, you know, uh, a decent amount of points on this ASU defense. I'd probably put USC, you know, at about three touchdowns and a field goal. So 24 points. Uh, ASU's offense, I feel like will be good for about two touchdowns against this USC defense, even though they're, they're pretty banged up. Um, so if the, the line is set at like six to eight points, I would probably take USC. If it's going to be more like 10 or 12 points, then I'd be looking at ASU. You know, Rick, I I am, I'm hesitant to do this, but if you were to give me seven points, if you were to give me 10 points, I would gobble them up and uh, and uh, might might sprinkle a little on the money line there. Might do a little sprinkle, a little sprinkle. What do you think, Rob? So the model has this as a true toss up um, <clears throat> right now, and I, if you give me anything, uh, any points towards UC or towards USC, like I'm going to take ASU uh, in this game. Like it's, uh, I just I don't have any faith in USC's offense. Um, some of USC's defensive ranking is coming from when they had Porter Gustin. He's out for the year. Uh, not that I don't think that like, I mean, this, this matchup is going to be ASU's pretty good offense against USC's pretty good defense. Um, and then ASU's not very good defense against USC's not at all good offense. I just, I have no, I have no idea what Jack Sears would look like. I would probably actually have more faith if JT Daniels was going to play that ASU might win this game. <laughs> That's never a good sign. <laughs> I know. Like, please, please bring your starter back. Um, but I'll take, I'll take ASU in this game. My, my guess is the Sears plays like him. ASU might be like a one point favorite or it's a push. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. And we all reserve the right to change our pick to many on the line here. So, uh, but I am bullish. Hey. Uh, mm-hmm. ASU hasn't won on the road yet this year. I'm just saying. Okay. Okay. No, that's fair. And, and the Coliseum thing does scare me. Uh, I, I know that USC plays better there than on the road. Let's move to the next game here. It is at 3.30 p.m. Washington is a 10.5 point favorite at Cal. Cal stomped on Oregon State. I don't want to spend a ton of time on here other than to mention that Jamar Jefferson, I think, played for one series. So you didn't have that uh, offensive threat, the one offensive threat on, on Oregon State state uh freaking patrick laird had a heck of a game 22 carries for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns he was everywhere and that guy was flexing around and stuff i'm like where have you been this whole year man but uh everybody shows up when they play oregon state's defense chase garbers had three touchdowns and zero picks so that was pretty exciting but i think this just shows you how bad rob oregon state's defense is right yeah i mean the the worst defense in all of college football yes. yeah yep absolutely um <laughs> so Ten and a half points at Cal for Washington. Like this Cal team is bad, right? 
So this Cal team is bad. Their offense comes in ranked at number 124. They have a good defense right? coming in ranked at number 29. Uh, they get a bit of a bump. I don't know if it's quite fair. They did. I mean, Oregon State's offense has been better than expected this year. Um, but they, I think they get a bit of an unfair bump from having, you know, taken on a non-Jamar Jefferson-aided Oregon State offense. Um but Washington's got almost a 91% win probability in this game. <clears throat> That's more than 10 points. Like I, I really like Washington in this game. I think that I think they'll have a tougher time than expected against this Cal defense, which is pretty good. But um, I think Cal's offense just uh, punt, 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 turnover. Yeah, Rick. How is Cal going to score points? And do you think they're going to score enough to cover 10 and a half points? I don't think Cal's going to score any points. Um, <laughs> nice. I, to, to be honest, I think that this is a real situation uh, where Washington can really blow the doors open early in this game. Um, you know, the, that 91% win probability that kind of bodes where I was thinking with, with, you know, like a 16 to an 18 point spread on the road. Uh, obviously you hate to, to really bet on those high, high spread road favorites, but um, I don't think that this is going to be close by any stretch of the means. So um, do, I'm sorry, I, I keep missing it. Did you say what the spread was? Ten and a half points. Yeah, I'm definitely taking Washington and giving up those points. I think that it, it ha- this has the potential to be like a three to four touchdown blowout win for them. Yeah, I'm going to take that too. And Rob's numbers make me feel better about that. Uh, moving on, 4 p.m., Washington State is a three-point underdog. Underdog, a three-point underdog. On the road against Stanford, this line surprised me. And this is one of those Vegas, like, come on in. Like, we, we have free fries, free free French fries. You want a shrimp cocktail? And then they just, just chop your head off. Um, this could be a letdown game for Washington State. And I don't like it one bit. With that said, Washington had a heck of a game against Oregon, man. That first half was awesome. And, Rob, let me throw it to you. What happened there? Why, why, did, why did Washington State just tear up Oregon? And I know it got close. I know it got close. But it didn't at the end either because uh, Gardner Minshew remembered that he was Gardner Minshew. But what, what did you see in this game? Well, I mean, Washington State just – I mean, they were <clears> – <throat> They had it completely rolling in the first half, and Oregon certainly did not. Uh, Herbert wasn't sharp. His receivers weren't sharp. Washington State was very good shutting down the run uh, all game, which is surprising because they're a small defense uh, overall, and uh, they've struggled a bit this year. And Oregon's got a decent offense, and they ran the ball effectively last week uh, or the week before against Washington, which is a good defense. Um but yeah, Oregon just couldn't get it going. Washington State raced out, put up some points, you know, four touchdowns. Um, in the second half, it tightened up a bit, but uh, Washington State was still able to walk away with a two position, two possession win. I mean, and even with that, like Gardner Minshew had two interceptions, so you know it was not. Uh, even if people said it looked close at the end, like. Washington state may have sweated it, but you, you beat a team by two possessions and gave up two possessions. Like Washington state was pretty comfortably the better team in this game. Yeah. Four touchdowns, two picks. I thought it was great that they almost Washington state almost rushed for a hundred yards. So that was a curious, a curiosity on my end, which was nice to see them switch it up when they needed to Rick, you have any thoughts on this game here? It was, it was quite fun to watch. As far as the Washington state Oregon game is concerned. Yes. Yeah, I so yeah, it was definitely a ton of fun. You know, the Gardner, Gardner Minshew, you know, just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he's a he's a guy that we didn't even really talk about coming into the season, and he's got almost three thousand yards passing for this Washington State offense, which is just at this point in the season already that's it's freaking phenomenal. 
you know, and Stanford really struggled against Manny Wilkins. You know, they allowed him to throw for almost 400 yards. So, um, you know, the Stanford secondary is really going to be tested in this game. I was as surprised as you were that Washington State was not favored in this game. Um, I think that they're giving a little bit too much credit to Stanford playing at home um, because I think that this has a real potential to, uh, um, you know, have uh, you, you said you said letdown game. I don't think it's going to be a letdown game for Washington State. I think the opposite's going to happen. I think they're going to try and take firm control of the reins here in the North. Uh, Mike Leach has his team fired up and firing on all cylinders, um, and so I'm I'm definitely sprinkling on the money line. Where's my beat at? Oh. Dang it. There, it is. there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, one thing with this team is we are still due for a Mike Leach brain fart game. And I thought it was the Oregon State game, and it was in the first half. And then Washington State came back. I want to take Washington State so bad. I want to sprinkle money on the money line. Uh, Rob, I'm sure your numbers probably show, what is this, maybe, like I would assume that Washington State would be favored in your numbers, right? Washington State comes in with a 74% win probability oh my gosh, in the game. Oh my gosh, what is um, that, like a 7 or 10 point uh, favorite? Based, yeah, based on, yeah, based on my analysis, that's about an 11 point favorite. So I would definitely sprinkle on the money line for this game. I'm going so to. That's, here's that's the thing good. with it is that Stanford definitely improved off of last week, uh, you know, playing against ASU. Um, and they still have some some fairly good work on their resume, if you will, from earlier in their year. But the offense, um, I mean, I don't know what they're I don't know what Vegas is sort of thinking that Washington that you know Stanford's offense is going to hang their hat on in this game. Um, and definitely, I don't think that Stanford's defense is, has has shown that they can um, show up and and shut somebody down like Gardner Minshew. So I I'm, I'm a little I was very very surprised. And I would say a letdown game, but. Washington's like Vegas almost sets it up where it's not a letdown game by by making Stanford the favorite. Uh, I just I'm gonna, I mean I'm going to take Washington State for sure, but I am not going to bet the house on this. Which like this will be one of the bets I make. It probably won't be the best, the biggest bet I make. Even though all those numbers point, I am just so nervous on those letdown games. And like I know, yeah, yeah, like Leach will say, oh, whatever the lines three and all that stuff. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's Mike Leach in a big game after coming off of a big game. And <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But sounds like we're all taking Washington State, right? Yeah, I, I don't one thousand percent subscribe to to the beta rankings when I place my bets. But based on you know the you know what I'm attributing towards beta ranking. Um, Washington State would have to be favored by 13 points for me to stay away from this game. And so the fact that they're not favored means that I'm definitely betting on this game. Okay. Okay. Uh, last game, the nightcap. Arizona is always the nightcap. Oregon at Arizona. Um, Arizona. Ugh, just, just talk to me, Rick. Talk to me about this game. Um, where do you want to go for drinks in the second quarter? <laughs> that's a, that's probably the right question to ask. Uh, man, that front seven of Oregon is just going to give us fits. I know Rob, that you had mentioned that they, um, haven't put as much pressure on, uh, on the quarterbacks. I think that changes in this game. I know the Arizona offensive line had a good game against UCLA, but, um, it'll be, I'm just curious to see how Rhett Rod, uh, 
reacts. The key to this game is the fact that Oregon's secondary is not good, and but Rhett Rodriguez isn't good, but Arizona can start moving the ball. But I just don't trust Arizona's defense to stop um, Oregon's offense, and I think that, that there's no line on this game. But what did we say the, the line was going to be? What did you think it would be, Rob? And what do your numbers say on it? Uh, so Oregon comes into this game as a uh, 83% win probability. Um, you know, that's closer to 17-ish points, you know, maybe even 20. Uh, I I don't – there's not a lot to, to hang your hat on if you're Arizona here. Like you need to force some turnovers to, to really stay in this game or hope that Herbert is just unbelievably off. Uh in the game, but I, I would expect Oregon comes in and tries to establish the run, something they were definitely not able to do. Um, and they were outrushed, I believe by Washington state <laughs> last week. Wouldn't have expected that. Um, I would expect them to come in and try to establish the run in this game, uh, with either Verdell or die. Um, and they should be able to, to throw the ball against Arizona secondary, who at this point is, you know, running out walk-ons and freshmen. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the injury report here. Uh, C.J. Verdell is questionable. Ta- eh, Taj Griffin, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a blast from the past. Um, I was just looking for for any of the Die brothers, and they are not on the injury report right now. So um, I'll keep an eye on that. But just big picture with Oregon, like you had mentioned, Rob, before we started recording. Not a terrible schedule after after that loss to Washington State. They have Utah on the road. That'll be a big game. And ASU, but certainly can finish this year out uh, really on a high note and get a good bowl game. It'll be interesting to see who they are matched up with and how they play. But uh, did you guys see, by the way, there was a report that was saying that Justin Herbert is likely not to enter the NBA draft? Did you guys see that? Well, I hope he's not going in the NBA draft. Yeah, I was oh, going to say, is he, does he play basketball? <laughs> it's I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, the money is way better in the NBA. So, like, if you have a kid and they're good at either football or basketball, like, send them to the NBA. But <laughs> No, it's the NFL if, draft. On, honestly, if, if you have a kid who could play football or basketball at the college level, he could probably play baseball as well guaranteed money in baseball yeah. always always steer your kids towards baseball yeah. sports fans absolutely always baseball okay well i mean uh, just as arizona fans uh just covering this game just a reminder if you're an Oregon fan and you're listening to this uh arizona's defense is terrible it is terrible and justin herbert should have a field day um you should be able to run the game uh, run the ball against this arizona front seven now the defensive line is getting a little bit better with uh, rushing the quarterback which is a good sign if you're an arizona fan but um i mean rhett rodriguez even if khalil tate gets into this game he needs to be 100 percent healthy because when he's not running he is not the quarterback that arizona needs and the offense was terrible when, while he was playing so you know we'll keep an eye on the the spread but am i am i missing anything here in this game guys i know we kind of breeze through it but um so i want to make sure to hammer a few things if uh you know you're listening to this podcast and you're generally curious as to to why this game we're so down on this game just go through and look at the roster size disparities between arizona and oregon just go through and like look at like the offensive linemen for example on oregon's team versus like the size of the offensive linemen for arizona team and you could take every single position at that and and compare and i mean genuinely see just how undersized and uh you know for that for that matter underdeveloped this Arizona team has compared to an Oregon team. You know, this is an Oregon team that is 100% a division one caliber program. 
um, you know, who's capable of competing year in and year out uh, to make that college football playoff. Um, and this Arizona team is not even close as far as the size factor is concerned. So um, that's why that's the main reason why I'm so down and out about it is, uh, you know, this Arizona team's going to get killed. Yeah, there was points in the UCLA game where Arizona was starting two freshman cornerbacks, and likely one of them will at some point have to guard Dylan Mitchell in this game, and, and I uh, I fear for his life. So uh, it'll be interesting. Rob, any, what are some other keys to the game here before we wrap up? I mean, the keys to the game, if you're Arizona, you need to be able to throw the ball. Oregon's defense grades out at 108 against the pass. Like, it's not a great defense over at all, but they're particularly bad against the pass. Um, and so you, you you just hope you can sort of keep Rodriguez upright enough to, to hopefully find some open receivers. Um, Arizona definitely has to hope for uh, Herbert to not be sharp and to uh, that Oregon's offensive line to, to give up some pressure. But I do think that Oregon's offensive line is, is hurting a little bit with Sewell out for it's now, I think five weeks. It was six weeks last week. So um, just their all-star freshman uh, tackle, I believe, although he may have been playing something else. It, it's really, really late on the East coast time right now. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, I mean, I think they missed him against Washington, um, and I don't think they're quite as deep in their where they want to be in their depth chart for uh, the transformation they're trying to make to some bigger bodies right now. So he he definitely was missed in that uh, game against Washington State, and I don't know that Arizona has the horses to necessarily exploit it, but I also would say that Arizona's defense is actually not really grading out any worse than Washington State's defense did, so no. uh, maybe you get lucky. That's interesting. Yeah, one well, other. Washington State defense is not very good this year, but they, they had a, they did have a good game last week. So kudos to them. Okay. One other thing to keep in mind is Arizona is very thin everywhere. So when you get into the third and fourth quarter, you want to put a little sleazy money on some stuff that might be a pick. I mean, just you know, get a feel for the game. I don't want to tell you to do something and then you lose money on it. But um, that is likely where Oregon pulls away if they don't in the first half. So something to keep in mind. Uh, that is it for this week, except for our contest. We have our eliminator pool where we had 65 entries, 17 remain. We had a couple of lost souls uh, this week, and they include Dan Duran, Philly Joel, AZ Fan One, OC Wildcat Joey, and Go Buffs 2204657427651 at sign underscore one. You are missed. We'll catch you next year. Yeah. 17 left. Get those eliminator picks in. Rob, you're still alive, right? I am. And I, I set myself up well with uh, burning cow this week. I, I actually feel good. Cause I would have like had heartburn if I had taken UCLA, but I think I've got, uh, oh, I'm a little worried. I've got USC still to finish, but I think they've still got Oregon state to play. Um, so I've got USC, uh, I think I might have Washington State and somebody else, Stanford. I think, Woo. or maybe it's Oregon. I've got I've got Oregon, USC, UCLA, and uh, Stanford still to pick. So I, I I I I just need to figure out if I want to like if I believe in UCLA at all down the stretch. I don't think I do. I think it's like save it to the end. Yeah, just just hope everybody else loses. Yeah, that's probably the yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, one more thing to mention is our 
run the gauntlet contest where we pick against the spreads. We're giving away two tickets to your team's college basketball uh, game. If you can knock off all six of our hosts, Mono Imano picks against the spread every week. And we're tearing it up, guys. So I'm 32 and 19 against the spread. Nora 33 challenged me yet again. We tied, tied, tied. I knocked him off, and then they ch- he challenged me, and he went five and one, man, in advances. So shout out to Nora 33. I went four and two this week, and I still got defeated. Rick Denice is 31 and 20 on the year. Rick Powell, you had two challengers. You went 22 and 29 so far against the spread. You went five and one this week. How do you think you did against C Team and Gronky Kong, Rick? Um, you know. They, they brought their A games. Um, I don't really think that anyone was actually expecting for them to win as, um, you know, I've beaten all challengers so far at this point in the season. Uh, you know, but good effort, guys. You know, we'll, you know, come, come at me again next week. We can try it again. Um, but uh, let's be honest. If you're challenging me, you're not winning this contest. Yeah, Rick, how does it feel to be a stone cold killer? Um, you know, my mom, when, uh, I was born, that's actually what she told the nurse. She said that that kid is a stone cold killer. <laughs> when, when you just stared into the nurse's eyes and didn't say a peep when you were born, that's, that's, uh, you got those dirty yeah, eyes, and then dead eyes, like nurse, a doll's eyes. And, and, and then I told the nurse to, uh, to go ahead and, and, and put some money on USC for me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was the first bet that I ever, ever made and, <laughs> Paid off. Well, you eliminated C Team and Gronky Kong yet again. Bring the noise next week, gentlemen. Um, Adam, Adam's been tearing it up, man. He, I think he's, I think he's fifteen and three or something in the last three weeks. He is now twenty eight and twenty three against the spread. Five and one this week. He defeated Height of Excellence, who was eliminated. Uh, Rob, you went four and two on the week. Twenty eight and twenty three on the season against the spread. And Ronnie, the Conger Choo Choo, which apparently Josh. <laughs> I don't know what Josh is trying to say with his names, but he uh, inserted himself as the Conquer Choo Choo. He went two and four, as did Ronnie. They tie. So uh, bring the noise again, Josh, and we will see you next week. Uh, Thanks, guys, for listening. Anything else we need to mention before we sign off here? No, we it's it's we're in the midst of it all, and we I think we covered it all. Right on, right on, guys. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for mybookie.ag for joining us. Definitely check them out. Get a get your money matched up to uh, at least a hundred dollars, and join us. Join us with the party. We would love to have you. And thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week.